I'll be reading from Zechariah 1, starting at verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo. During the night I had a vision, and there was before me a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown and white horses. I asked, what are these, my lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and in peace. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion and I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they went too far with the punishment. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then I looked up and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could raise their head, but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Thank you, Judy. Let us uh, pray and ask God to help us now. Lord our God, we know you are faithful to what you have said in your word. Please grow our trust in your promises, goodness and love as we hear your word in Zechariah. May we see and long for the fulfillment of all your plans in our Lord Jesus, Messiah and King. Thank you that in and through Jesus, we can be sure everything is being worked out truly and eternally for our good and for your glory. Amen. Well, we began last Sunday in the book of Zechariah and uh, we saw that the word of the Lord uh, came to Zechariah in the eighth month of the second year of King Darius the Persian. It's placing him in 520 BC, about 20 years earlier, Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, had allowed the people to return to Jerusalem and about 200 years before that, before Judah had gone into exile in Babylon, before Jerusalem 
and its temple had been destroyed, uh, God had already said through Isaiah, Cyrus, my, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill my purpose, saying to, of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Physically, in Zechariah's day, they had returned, but they hadn't returned to the Lord. They had stopped rebuilding the temple. It was really like an abandoned construction site. God's kingdom, God's presence wasn't their heart's desire. Which is our challenge as well. That we might get on with the building of God's kingdom in our day, whatever our stage in life might be. Whatever are we doing and uh, whatever it would look like to be contributing to this building program that God has established. As I mentioned, I returned from the men's conference at Poetina. There was about 160 men, mainly across Tassie, being challenged about an, unfin about an unfinished task. And one of the things said on the Friday night was when we meet Jesus, he's not going to be so concerned about the denomination that we're in or the fact that we sat in the same seat in church for the last 50 years warming that spot. He's going to be asking, what did we do for his kingdom? To see it growing. We only have so much time. How can we better use the time we have for God's purpose as a church and people who belong to him? For the returnees, they heard through Zechariah, God saying to them, return to me. Is today the day you return to the Lord in repentance? Return to me, says the Lord, to give ourselves to the unfinished task in our day. Now, all these dates and events could make you sort of think, well, what is really the word of the Lord to Zechariah have to do with me? And we saw last time the same word of God spoken to previous generations in Jeremiah's day, in Isaiah and Ezekiel's day, is the same word that's spoken to Zechariah. And is the same word that speaks to us today. You might be thinking, listening to Zechariah's vision, this is weird. Uh, somebody's dropped something into his coffee uh, that night and he's gone to bed. But it is a genre of scripture, visions or dreams, part of God's authoritative word, part of the, what we call the canon of scripture, part of what we read all scripture as God breathed and useful for the believer, uh, part of the word of God being a living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword that keeps challenging our lives to keep changing us. And we can resist his will for our lives by ignoring his word and rejecting his word. 
And as readers and hearers of scripture comes the warning, doesn't it? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Well, this is what the forebears had done. About 100 years before Zechariah's time, the word of the Lord came through Jeremiah. And one of the things God's people heard was from Jeremiah, turn now every one of you from your evil ways and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm, yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. They didn't listen. Every one of them, they didn't obey. They didn't stay. God was angry with them. So when Zechariah opened his mouth saying, thus says the Lord, the people heard and they listened and they repented. What the people of God can now expect is a great reversal from God. For he promised, if you return to me, remember, I will return to you. There's something very appealing about great reversals. Whether it's shedding those kilos that you've put on over winter, or Optus actually gets up, gets the outage up and running again. A great reversal. Or your team, right? You know, uh, better in the second innings or in the third quarter. In three months of Zechariah's first vision comes a second vision, stretching right through to chapter 6, verse 15. It's still 520 BC. The word of the Lord comes to him. There's a great reversal. The Lord's anger is redirected and the Lord's comfort is restated. The Lord's anger is redirected. In verse 8, eight it says, Zechariah had a night vision. He sees a man on a red horse. And we're told in verse 11, this man standing among the myrtle trees is the angel of the Lord. And there's another angel talking to Zechariah. He's explaining to Zechariah what he's seeing. Okay, so what you've got is Zechariah. You have the man standing among the myrtle trees, the angel of the Lord, and you have another angel explaining to Zechariah what he's seeing. And what else is there? The horses. Multiple of horses. Not just a red one or a brown or a white one, but multiple, multiple horses. Standing behind the man, the angel of the Lord among the myrtle trees. And these horses have been on a reconnaissance mission. They have gone, it says in verse 11, throughout the whole earth, sent out by the Lord. And they report that the whole world is at rest and at peace. Now, I take it at this point, there must be riders on these horses speaking. Otherwise, what we've got here is lots of Mr. Eds. That, that's, that, that sounds, sounds okay, doesn't it? You know, 
a world of rest and peace? Um, didn't John Lennon and Yoko Ono sing that song? All we are saying is give peace a chance. That, that, that became the anthem in um, the American anti-war movement in the 70s. It reached number two in the British charts. We want peace and rest, don't we? And here it is, a report that the whole world is at rest, it says. It's at peace. But then look what it says in verse 15. It says, the Lord says, I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. What's going on here? It's not a good day because the Lord's prophets promised the opposite. That after the exile, the Lord's people, not the nations, would enjoy peace and security. That the nations would be put down. And this isn't what the horses are reporting. The Lord was angry with his people. Now the Lord's anger is redirected at the sins of the nations for their mistreatment of his people. Verse 15, it says that they went too far. They went too far using excessive force and brutality, committing really war crimes. But what also angered the Lord was what he said four months earlier through the prophet Haggai, that he would shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations will come in. And Lord says, I will fill his ha this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Two months later, he repeats it again through Haggai. And so close to that report from the horses to Zechariah, you have the Lord's anger at the nations for the nation's complacency, their smugness. There's no judgment on these nations. Not a single thought about the Lord Almighty. They've committed the most atrocious things. But the horses have reported in. The Lord is fully aware of the situation. Nations at ease. Nations secure. At rest. Smug complacent foreign powers still over Jerusalem but a mighty shaking will surely come everyone knows the two certainties of life death and taxes and there's a third Judgment. 
the nations, the world, face the judgment of God. This is good news for God's people. Oppression, cruelty, abuse of power, injustice will not prevail in the end. Even as these things go on and on today, God has already set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who is he? The one who has been raised from the dead. And here's the proof for the world, for the nations in their complacency, in their ease. The final proof that God intends to judge the world is in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Complacent and easy life in the nations is the dream. People live in the dream. You hear that, don't you? I'm just living the dream. When God's judgment could mean a nightmare for them. People everywhere have been put on notice. Preparations are in hand. Horses have gone out. The reconnaissance mission, report is in, the assessment delivered. The Lord knows. Preparations are in place. The judge already appointed. His kingdom has come. His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And certainly these are examples of the world's hostility at God and his people. But the remarkable thing about our world, about the nations of the world, and even the people around us, is the indifference. Nothing to worry about. Let me just get on with my life. This is how it was in Noah's day. In Zechariah's day. How it is in our day. And according to Jesus, how it will be right up to the end. People just going about... Trying to have normal lives, eating, drinking, partying, playing, marrying, running their businesses, making great achievements. Unconcerned, indifferent, like in Noah's day. They knew nothing about the flood until it came and took them all away. And that is how it is going to be when the coming of the Son of Man, says Jesus. People will face his judgment for a life of indifference to him. The Lord's anger is redirected. And secondly, the Lord's comfort is restated. The angel of the Lord cries in verse 12, How long will you, Lord Almighty, withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah? It's really like that uh, 
picture in Revelation 6 where the cry goes out, How long, O Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? The God of the whole earth, not the Persian emperor, will ultimately determine what happens in Jerusalem. The Lord will return to Jerusalem, verse 16, with mercy. His house, his temple will be built. Verse 17 says, all the surrounding towns will again overflow with prosperity. Zechariah is commissioned to proclaim this word to the people. They will know that rebuilding this temple isn't simply their business. Yes, it happens on earth, but it has heaven's approval, heaven's resolve. It's God's work. It will be completed. God's determined to do it. His people will be blessed and prosper. His people can also take comfort from where the angel of the Lord and the horses are standing. We heard that earlier, didn't we? But it says among the myrtle trees and in the ravine. That word ravine could be better translated the watery depths of the sea or the river, which brings to mind those great moments in Israel's history at the Red Sea, at the Jordan River, of the Lord's rescue of Israel. He brought them through the depths, gave them victory over their enemies. And then the myrtle trees in Isaiah are connected to God's promise to bring new life to Israel where Isaiah says, instead of briars, my myrtles will grow. Just as God delivered his people in the past and gave them new life, so the detail of this man standing among the myrtle trees and in the ravine was a sign that deliverance from the ordeal was coming with the promise of a new beginning. This morning, when you and I take the Lord's Supper, you see a sign pointing to your deliverance, your rescue, and the promise that a new beginning has come. And this should comfort us. We aren't objects of God's anger, objects of his mercy. He says, I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. The time of God's punishment of his people is over. His measuring line is stretched out over Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be reconstructed. His anger has turned away from them. He has returned with mercy. And for us, our jealous God restates, I am not angry with you anymore. For Jesus has paid for your sins. I have returned to you in mercy. And that's a word of comfort that we all need to hear and understand. That you, do you have that deep assurance that God isn't angry with you? Because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. The Lord's anger is redirected. The Lord's comfort is restated. And the Lord's craftsmen keep their trade. 
There's a second instalment here, isn't there, in this vision? Zechariah sees those four horns, the horns of the nations, many nations there, powerful nations, complete numbers of nations, all the nations that scattered the people of God, Judah and Israel and Jerusalem, who were, were oppressed and humiliated. And he sees four craftsmen who have something to do with the rebuilding of the temple. And face value sort of, this seems so weak and ordinary. Lowly craftsmen and carpenters. And yet it says they come to terrify these horns of the nations and throw them down. What's going on here? Noah? Noah built the ark. <laughs> Save his family. In his day, he's a craftsman, carpenter. And he condemned the world. That's what Hebrews 11.7 tells us. God brought the flood, a judgment upon the world. Noah participated in that judgment as he simply built the ark. He put the world on notice. Some were saved. The rest were destroyed. And similarly, Paul in the New Testament describes his ministry of proclaiming the gospel as foolish and weak. He was the fragrance of Christ to those who were being saved, but he also was the aroma of death to those who were perishing. Paul knew how inadequate he was for such a task. His adequacy came from God, God the judge. Those God chooses to share the gospel are his instrument to put his judgment into effect. That's us. His builders, craftsmen, carpenters. Jesus announced a new building program. He launched it as he preached the kingdom of God, he trained disciples and he equipped them. He went to the cross so that there might be a gospel to proclaim. This is how God's rule advances, how the church is built as people trust and serve and follow Jesus. We cannot pray your kingdom come without seeing ourselves committed to keeping our trade, our craft. The Lord's craftsmen keep their trade of gospel ministry. At the centre 
of your life. As individuals and as a church. To be good craftsmen in Jesus' building project. As we build, we know our Lord is returning. May he find us working. All the nations will be subject to his rule. Will we keep our trade as his craftsmen? There are many good, good causes and worthy pursuits, many things that could have our attention. Nothing is more important than the nations, the people of the nations, hearing the news of Jesus in the gospel. This is what God has said to will rescue his people, rescue a people from the nations. This is where the powers of darkness are confronted and thrown down, where those horns will be collapsed. This is the real work of the kingdom. And so will you be a craftsman for the Lord, a builder, a sharer of his gospel? You who know the comfort of God from his mercy, giving the news of Jesus, Saviour, reigning, and the judge of the nations. Let us pray, everyone. Now, Heavenly Father, we bow before you and we are just in awe and wonder of the incredible patience that you have so shown day after day after day. And as the people in Zechariah's day who just were, were waiting, and as we've heard today, the, the call to, of, of how long, Lord? So we know that the Lord Jesus has come and we have received that mercy and we do want to be those people who are involved in sharing that mercy and bringing that warning that Jesus is risen and there is a judge of all the earth. Father, we confess that we find this difficult in our day and age, but it has always been the case. But through the gospel, Father, through your kingdom, you, you build your church. We are, we, are, we are craftsmen with you, Lord. And so, Father, would you work in our hearts by your spirit to give us that increased desire to serve the gospel, to look upon our fellow citizens in our, in our towns and cities with a, with, a great, with a greater concern for them, we who have tasted something of the goodness of God. Please help us with these things. Please, in our church, may we be encouragers of each other in these great things. Lord, you, you know all the needs we have. You know all our concerns. You know our fears. 
please, would you minister to our hearts and help us to come alongside each other as we serve you together in this, uh, in this great cause. We who know so much more of the plan of God unfolding know that the last great event will be the return of Jesus. The judge of all the earth will do what is right. We thank you that he is on the throne today, reigning, knowing everything. Let us give ourselves to serving him all our days. And thank you for your great love to all, to all of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. In showing his faithful love to his people. And during the meal, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine signifying the blood and body for, given for sinners. Whoever is saved by grace alone, following Jesus as his disciple, born of the Spirit of God, is invited to partake of the bread and wine in the Lord's Supper. Physically speaking, these small elements are never designed to feed us physically, unlike a midday meal but it is a spiritual meal. They aren't just bare symbols. By faith, we who trust in Jesus are being told he has died in our place. We look back to our Saviour's death and up to where he is today. Living at God's right hand. We see in the elements that Jesus gave his life for us. Who has made us his body, members, together to serve our Lord. And in gratefulness for what Jesus has done in serving us. So now we don't have to worship other gods or idols. We're united to Christ. We live to worship and serve him. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that through Jesus, our Saviour and Lord, every spiritual blessing is ours. We, As we share in this Lord's Supper now, please remind us of our great union with him and our unity with each other in him. That we have been brought near to you when at one time we were far away from you. Through Jesus our Saviour who gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Glory be to God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave that bread to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, our Lord Jesus took the cup and again giving, you th giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
invite you to respond in the yellow font, yellow type. As we eat this bread and drink this cup together, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We do this until he returns. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Well, friends, I invite you to come forward now and uh, receive the bread and the wine or grape juice and uh, return to your seats and then we'll eat and we'll drink together. very much man that was an obstacle course there wasn't it <laughs> brothers and sisters let us take and eat in remembrance that christ died for us and to feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving
Let's now take the cup in remembrance that the Lord Jesus shed his blood for us and be thankful. Let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing our final song this morning, our final hymn, The Church's One Foundation.
Lots of reminders today, brothers and sisters, of the uh, grace and uh, goodness of God and uh, the challenge that we come to our lives that uh, there is a great reversal. Uh, the Lord is no longer angry at us, but the nations need to hear of him, the Saviour and the Judge. And uh, let us be his craftspeople, craftsmen, the people who will go in his name to make his name known. Let's uh, close our service this morning and uh, we'll close it in the words of the grace. If you know them, please join me in uh, saying this. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.